It is good to be here. It is good to gather in God's house. It is good to worship him at his call. Um, just a couple of announcements as we begin. Sunday night Bible study will resume tonight. We are in chapter 10. I think I said nine last week, but it's actually chapter 10 um, on the effectual call this week. So please, um, if you're coming, please be prepared. Also, women of the church have their meeting Tuesday at two o'clock in the fellowship hall. Um, and Bible study on Wednesday night at 6, uh, men in the adult Sunday school room, women in the fellowship hall. Thanks to everybody for their understanding this week. Um, we did have some water and sewage issues here at the church that are now fixed. And so uh, I thank God that they are now fixed. Um, but uh, so thank you for your understanding this past Wednesday. This Thursday is our monthly day of prayer. If you do not receive the email from me, I will be emailing the prayer guide out Tuesday or Wednesday. If you do not receive emails from me, whether um, you don't have an email address or you just don't receive them, there are a couple here on the piano uh, prayer guides that I printed out. Otherwise, I will be emailing them out either Tuesday or Wednesday um, for our day of prayer on Thursday. Also, thank you to everybody who took the cards for the, the outreach boxes. We're calling them gift boxes. Um, God is faithful and true, 
And um, if you have brought those uh, things back, just place them in the fellowship hall and we'll make sure they get in the right uh, hands. If you have not, uh, please bring them back by next week so we can begin that process of handing them out. Um, are there any other announcements or any other clarifications? On Saturday? $2 a person or $5 a family. Okay, so a pizza and game night, Saturday at 5 $2 a person, $5 a family. And that just covers the cost of pizza. All right, anything else? All right. If not, our call to worship is found in the bulletin and comes from Psalm 66 and is a responsive reading. Actually, it comes from Psalm 139. I'm sorry. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Join me as we pray. God, you know us. You know everything about us, our thoughts, our joys, our depressions, our anxieties, our successes, and our failures. You call us into your presence in the midst of all of these to worship you. We are here in answer to your call to be searched. Remind us that we need not fear because we are covered by Jesus' righteousness. And remind us that you are close to us in this place. Hear us now as we pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God knows me. That should be a comfort to us. So please take uh, Bible songs, the green book there before you and turn to Bible song number 290. Let us be comforted in singing of God's knowledge of our hearts and as our thoughts. So let us stand and sing Bible song 290. God knows me.
seated. First Kings 8, 46 is part of Solomon's prayer to God as he is dedicating the temple. And in verse 46, he says, for there is no one who does not sin. He goes on to ask God to hear and forgive when God's people repent and turn for their sins. So since there is no one who does not sin, Let us take time to silently go to God and confess our sins to him. In Second Chronicles, the chronicler gives us the account of Solomon's prayer as well. But he gives an account of God's response. And God responds this way. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. Be comforted in the knowledge that God forgives, heals, and restores. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 12, a psalm of David. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says we will triumph with our tongues, with our own lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. God does call us to bring our tithes and offerings to him. He has given to us out of his abundance. And so we have an opportunity to worship him through the giving of tithes and offerings. So let us take some time to prayerfully consider how we may give to his work today.
God of abundance, you have given so much to us. You have given what is necessary so that we might be reconciled to you. And in that reconciliation, you are pleased by what we give. Please use what is given today for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' generous name, amen. Please take the maroon book there before you. Turn to hymn number 201. Well, we do well to consider the people present at the cross. And we ask ourselves how we would have reacted. Would we have been mocking? Would we have been at a distance? Would we have been near the foot of the cross? So take your hymnal and turn to number 201 and consider where you would have been as our Lord died. Let us stand, remain standing and sing number 201, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Please be seated. Salvation that came through the crucifixion of our Lord is part of what we believe. So join me as we profess together the whole, the summary of what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I do have a couple of updates for us. Um, Janie uh, was back in the hospital this week. She is back home. She did have a stroke and they've adjusted her medication. She's on the mend, but it will be a a slow uh, process, but she's doing okay. So continue to pray for her. Ingrid has a, 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 a small hernia surgery on Tuesday, so please be in prayer for her, as does my friend Kim Payne, a retired ARP minister in South Carolina. Um, So please be in prayer for both of them. A friend of Jonathan by the name of Dina has some various health issues, so please lift her up in prayer. And Doug Crone is still recuperating, so please continue to pray for him. Are there any other updates or or new requests? Uh, The family of Doug Arbuckle. Anything else or anyone else? We've been praying for a time for the work in Christ Central in Charlottesville. Um, please continue to be in prayer as they are having a pastoral change. Um, so please lift them up. I did get to see Mitchell on the Presbytery Zoom call yesterday. Mitchell seems to be doing well. He's in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. He said it's windy and cold. Um, but he is doing well. He's serving a a basic training unit in Fort Sill as the chaplain. So please continue to lift he and his family in prayer. Anything else? Well, then let us do go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory goes through all the earth. Your name is glorious in all the earth. You are the holy, holy, holy God who is exalted above all the nations. You are the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. You are the infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God. You are our God, and we are your people. You are a God who reconciles and restores. When we were in rebellion against you, you sent your Son to save us. By our sin, we broke fellowship with you. Yet you provided the means of reconciliation. You sent your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, truly God and truly man, to be the source of reconciliation, the source of righteousness that we lack because of our sinfulness and our rebellious acts against you. We deserve death and hell for our lack of love for you and for each other. Yet you provided eternal life for those who believe through the life death, resurrection, and eternal rule of Jesus. 
We are incapable, completely incapable of grasping his work in a way that brings reconciliation. So you sent us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to regenerate, to enliven, and to enable us to grasp with faith the grace that brings salvation and reconciliation. Not only do you reconcile, you also restore. Through the prophet Jeremiah, you promised the exiled Israelites that they would be restored to the land. And you promised humanity that we will be restored to the more perfect garden where you will dwell for all eternity with humans. We anxiously await that restoration. We are strangers and exiles in a world that is hostile to you, hostile to your word, and hostile to your people. We live in a world that hated Jesus and hates us, his followers, as well. Restore us to a world that is at peace because it has been redeemed. Restore us to a world where we worship you in truth. Part of living in this world is the struggle with health issues, the struggle with grief, the struggle with loss. Please come alongside our brothers and sisters and friends as they deal with the ill health of living in a fallen world. We pray for Doug and and thank you for his recovery and recuperation and ask that you continue to be in that to strengthen him and to raise him up. We pray for Janie and thank you that she is home and pray that you continue to strengthen her on her road to recovery. For Kim Payne and for Ingrid, we ask that you would guide the hands of the doctors in their separate hernia surgeries this Tuesday and bring them swift and quick recovery. For Dina, with her different health issues, we ask that you would um, provide strength and healing and comfort and strengthen Jonathan as he has opportunities to minister and to serve her. For the family of Doug Arbuckle, we lift them up and ask that you would comfort them in the midst of their grief. For your work of outreach in Charlottesville, we do pray for that church and ask that you would strengthen it through this time of transition. Be with its leaders. Be with this presbytery as we seek to support them in their work. We thank you for Mitchell and his work in the army on your behalf in Fort Sill and ask that you would give him opportunity, give him clarity as he speaks into the opportunities that you give to minister to these young men and women as they are going through the difficulties of boot camp, of basic training. Please help him to honor and glorify you and please sustain his family in that work. Lord, we do ask as well that you remind your church that you are sovereign over the world around us. Remind those who are violently and physically persecuted for their faith that you are close to them. Remind those that are trying to navigate a world that used to tolerate and celebrate the gospel, but now is antagonistic to your people, that you are sovereign. Grow us, grow Fairly Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church into a community that understands that you are in control of our entire life. Remind us that we can find comfort and strength in growing together into a community of people that seeks to glorify you. Remind us that you are the one sovereign, stable, constant in a world that seems to be seeking to destroy itself. And help each of us and help us as a church to live in such a way that you are honored and glorified. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.
Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We are picking back up in Proverbs um, chapter 19, verse 23. We'll be reading through chapter 20, verse 11, as we, consider, as we continue to consider Solomon's words of wisdom to his son and to us as well. So please take up your Bibles and follow along as I read, beginning in Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The sluggard buries his hands in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog or punish a mocker, and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke a discerning man, and he will gain knowledge. He who robs his father and drives out his mother is a son who brings shame and disgrace. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps evil down. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs of fools. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. A king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. He who angers him forfeits his life. It is to a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. A sluggard does not plow in season, so at harvest time he looks but finds nothing. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. When a king sits on his throne to judge, he winnows out all evil with his eyes. Who can say I have kept my heart pure? Who can say I am clean and without sin? Differing weights and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Even a child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we learned in Sunday school today, we are to work out together our salvation with fear and with trembling. And we were reminded as well that you are working in us as we work out our salvation. Remind us of that, Lord, as as the, the light of your word by the power of the Holy Spirit shines into our hearts, exposes The dark places exposes the places where we cannot honestly say that we have kept our heart pure. Remind us that that is part of the process of working out our salvation and that you deal gently, tenderly, and lovingly with us as we do the hard work of repenting and seeking to live a life that is clean, that is pure, and that is without sin. And so, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open our ears, open our hearts to see your glory, to see where we fail that glory, and to see how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ covers us with his righteousness, makes us holy, so that we can pursue what you would have us to pursue. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Proverbs 19.23 is one of those verses in Proverbs and throughout the Bible that looks backwards to what has been taught and also looks forward to what is coming next. As we looked at this verse last week, we saw that the fear of the Lord leads to life. 
The fear of the Lord is an an admission that he is sovereign over all things, that we have our plans, we have our wants, we have our desires, but he is sovereign over how our lives work out and sovereign over how the world around us works out as well. And that should lead to a life of contentment. And we're going to see as we move forward in today's passage that life of contentment and that fear of the Lord is contrasted with pursuing things of this earth as we seek to live and to manage the chaos. When Paul talks about contentment, when the author of Hebrews talks about contentment as well in the New Testament, they typically contrast contentment with the same thing, the love of money. In Philippians 4, Paul says that he finds contentment whether he has a lot or a little. And he puts that in the context of goods and food. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul says specifically that the killer of contentment is the love of money. And the author of Hebrews echoes that in Hebrews 13.5, where he says that the love of money is a killer of contentment. Now, I should not have to deal with this. Theologians, pastors for years have been dealing with this. It is not money that is the killer of contentment. It is not money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is the heart attitude of love of money that is the killer of contentment and the root of all kinds of evil. But money does point to a heart issue. And do we love money or do we love God? And that leads us to what we will look at today, which is how the king searches out the heart, the plans of the heart, the thoughts of the heart and the motives of the heart. And then we will look at some outward signs of a bad heart. Proverbs 20, verse 5 through 9, point out the reality that our deepest, most secret thoughts and motives are often hidden. We can act out a good game. We can outwardly conform to enough of God's law to fool a good number of people. All of them, if we're good at it. And this was the problem with the Pharisees and with many churches today that put a heavy emphasis on salvation through keeping the law. God has given us the law. The law is good and it performs at least two functions. It points us to our need for a savior. It provides a standard by which we will be judged. What does God expect of us? What does it mean to be blameless or righteous? What does it mean to be wise? God gave us his expectations in the Ten Commandments. And these are the rules that we must live by in order to be considered righteous before God. The problem is that we cannot keep them well enough to be considered righteous before God. James, in his letter to the church in James chapter 4, says, if you break even the smallest of God's commands, You are as guilty as if you had broken them all. The little white lie. As we learned in Sunday school, the grumbling and complaining, those things that we think are no big deal, are enough to bring us before God and be judged by Him as unworthy, as unrighteous. Thanks be to God that He provided His Son who did keep the law perfectly. And as we embrace the work of Jesus By faith, we can be covered by his righteousness, knowing that our sins have been punished on the cross. 
And that leads us to the second uh, use of the law that we are going to consider today. And that it is it provides us the guidelines that we should pursue to bring our outward holiness in line with the holiness that belongs to the child of God. It is the rules for holy living. God has declared us to be holy in Christ. He has declared us to be chosen and beloved in Christ. And he has called us to live in a certain way. And the law provides the guidelines that we are to live by as we pursue the holiness that God says is ours in Christ. But we are tempted to make the law and the keeping of the law an end in itself. Instead of saying, I'm a child of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I should live like one. We live in a way that says I am a child of God. And remaining in that status is dependent upon me keeping the law. And this is legalism. And there are several problems with this, but the one focused on here in Proverbs 20 verses 5 through 9 is that legalistic focus on the law denies the attitude of our hearts. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to give an example of this related to, the, to murder and to anger. He, he reminds them of the commandment, you shall not murder. And he affirms that it's good not to murder. But he goes on to say, if you have anger in your heart and you harbor that anger in your heart against another person and that anger in your heart leads you to call them names, idiot, fool, jerk, whatever name we call people these days. Jesus says we are liable for God before God for murder. Anger is the seed that if cultivated sprouts and produces murder. The counsels, plans, and motives of the heart drive our sins. And the legalistic focus on the law forgets this, denies this, and finds righteousness in a sinful heart. And Solomon tells Rehoboam, who would one day be king, that the king, the wise king, would winnow out all the evil with his eyes. Winnowing was taking the wheat that had been harvested. If you've ever seen wheat in a form other than flour, or bread, you know that it's a, it's a seed with a hard husk around it. And it has to be gripped and violently rubbed together either by hand or by a machine to separate the hard outer husk from the wheat kernel inside. And that's what Solomon tells Rehoboam that a wise king will do, that he will winnow evil out of the hearts of men and women who come before him. Wisdom will give the king the ability to rule in such a way that he can see into the heart motives of a person and find the true motivation behind their actions. Solomon actually exhibited this in First, in First Kings 3. Two women come before Solomon and say, we both had babies. We went to bed and one of the children died in the night. And we have been arguing ever since over which who, which mother belongs to the live child? Solomon heard their case. He thought about it and he said, I understand what is in the heart of a person. And he said, bring me a sword. We will cleave the baby in two and we will give a half to each of you. 
And knowing that the true mother would preserve the life of the child. He gave that judgment. And that's exactly what happened. The true mother said, no, 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 no. Preserve the life of the baby and give it to her. I relinquish my rights. And Solomon said, that is the true mother. Give her the baby. A a king, a wise king, Solomon tells his son, will be able to to see the attitudes of a person's heart. If we look into our heart, the myth that we can keep the law will be busted. Jesus said the heart of the law was love for God and love for our neighbor. Is the motivation of your heart love for God and love for others? Proverbs 20, chapter 6 says that many of us are going to claim that our hearts are full of unfailing love for God and for neighbor. But the second half of the verse says that our claim to unfailing love is not true. The standard is blamelessness and faithfulness in loving God and loving neighbor. And when we truly look into our hearts according to the standard of perfect love for God and for neighbor, we have to answer the questions in verse 9. With no, not even me. I can't say I have kept my heart clean. I cannot say I am clean and without sin. And while the wisest of human kings can fail in winning out the evil intents of a person's heart, there is the one true king, the sovereign God who has no difficulty seeing into the depths of our hearts to dig out the true motives for our actions. And to see that they are more often than not motivated by love for ourselves. Our only hope in the face of this is the perfect righteousness that Jesus accomplished in his life. And and had the ability to give to us in his death as he fulfilled God's love perfectly. As he fulfilled love for neighbor perfectly. That righteousness is given to us as our sins were placed on him and punished on the cross. Jesus showed perfect love for God in fulfilling his law and perfect love for us in satisfying God's wrath against our sins. We are not righteous and we depend upon Jesus' righteousness. God does and will continue to search our hearts. Perfectly plumb the depths of a man's heart to draw out our purposes, to draw out our plans. If we are in Christ, he does so so that we might repent and turn to him and develop a greater love for him and a greater love for others. If we have not yet embraced Christ, he does it so that we might run to him and find salvation and find peace. The perfect king perfectly seeks out the purposes of the heart. So what are some signs that we can look at? Outward signs that we can look at to determine whether or not we have a heart problem. What are signs of the bad heart that can be winnowed out by the perfect, omniscient, all-knowing king? Today's passage focuses on six. Six that we've looked at before Six that we will look at again as we continue our our walk through the book of Proverbs. But they are signs that we can look for in our own lives. In our own lives. They are signs that we can look for. Signs that lead us to a place of repentance. 
Signs that will tell us whether or not we are still harboring love for ourselves rather than love for God or love for neighbors. The first is found in the contrast between Proverbs 19.23 and Proverbs 20 verse 1. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content and untouched by trouble. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Where do we run when life gets tough? Where do we seek comfort and stability in the chaos of this world? Do we seek it in God's sovereignty, in the fear of the Lord? Or do we seek it in the created things that God created good, yet we have made ultimate in God? Specifically here, he references alcohol, wine, and beer. Wine being what we consider wine to be, the the fermented fruit of the grape, fermented juice of the grape, beer being a fermented uh, grain type uh, drink. What we consider beer, what beer is for us today. Where do we run? Where do we turn when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, when life gets stressful? Do we run to God and his sovereignty or do we run to the things of this earth? If we run to the things of this earth, we might have a heart problem. Secondly, in 1924 and 20, verse 4, we are told that laziness is a sign of misordered heart motivations. Now, Solomon has a sense of humor here. In 1924, he gives us the word picture of a person who's seated at a meal at a table. He's got his plate and his fork and his knife and his drink there in front of him. And the dish is out there in the middle of the table. And he's motivated enough to reach out to the spoon. He's motivated enough to grab the spoon. He's motivated enough to scoop up the food on the spoon. And then he lays down and takes a nap right there with the spoon still in the dish. Not only is he not motivated enough to bring the food back to his plate, he's not even motivated enough, according to 20 verse 4, to go out and plow when it's time to plow. And so has nothing at harvest time. If you are unwilling to work, if you are unwilling to uh, provide as you are able for yourself and for your family. It's a denial of God's mandate from creation. Work is not a curse. Work is something we were made for. It has been cursed because of the fall. It is oftentimes futile, and we have to do it over and over and over again because creation fights back. But when we ignore God's call to work, well, you might have a heart problem. Thirdly, chapter 19, 25 and 29 tell us that ignoring correction is a sign that the heart is misaligned. He says that if you punish or flog a mocker, the simple will learn prudence and rebuke a discerning man and he will gain knowledge. You can beat violently the fool of fools and he will never learn. But the simple person can just watch the punishment of the fool and be driven to wisdom. And while you have to beat the fool of fools, 
A mere verbal rebuke will turn the heart of a wise man. Penalties are and will be prepared for the mockers, the fool of fools. And they will laugh. They will ignore. They will not care. If God corrects you, whether it's through godly friendships, whether it's through the preaching and the teaching of the word, whether it's through your own personal study, God lovingly disciplines those whom he loves and he sends calamity to draw people to himself. If we ignore that discipline, if we ignore turning to him when things are tough, we might have a heart problem. Fourthly, verses 26 and 27 and verse of chapter 19 and verse 11 of 20 remind us that dishonoring parents is a sign of bad heart motives. If you ignore the teaching of your parents, you will be led astray. If you violently push your parents out of your life, you are liable to judgment. Even a child is known for better or for worse by his actions. It says that a child is known by his actions, whether his conduct is pure and right, but it's implied that it is also known by a child's actions, whether his, his conduct is impure and wrong. Children, honor, respect your parents. I realize you have to apply that in your life in different ways based upon the status, the, the, the place in life where you are, based in how your parents act. But when we do not follow wisdom's teachings, as taught, hopefully, by our parents, and parents, you should be teaching wisdom to your children. But children, if you refuse to honor your parents, you might have a heart problem. Fifthly, dishonesty is a sign that we are not focusing our heart on loving God and loving neighbor. Do you go about good business dealings? If you're a business owner, do you give an honest day's pay for an honest day's work? If you're an employee, do you give more than an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Do you work as according to God and not for men? If you are dishonest in your financial dealings, if you are dishonest in your contractual dealings, if you are dishonest, you may have a heart problem. Sixthly, the pursuit of relational strife is a sign of a heart in need of sanctification. According to chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. Are your compliments backhanded? Are you only ever critical? Of course, for somebody else's good. Do you always pick a fight? You may have a heart problem. Now, the temptation for you, the temptation for me, is going to be look at these six things and say, Man, I really wish so-and-so was here today because they definitely needed to hear this. That is also probably a sign that you have a heart problem and need a heart change. See, these reminders are given to us to help us to look deeply into our own hearts and remove the plank from our own eyes before we go about the work of removing the speck from our brother and sister's eyes. Use this passage as an opportunity to search your own heart and repent of your lack of love for God and for neighbor. Are you content 
Or do you have a love for the things of this world? Jesus' righteousness empowers us to join in the work of the Holy Spirit in changing the loves and the desires of our hearts. Jesus' righteousness allows us to answer the question of chapter 20, verse 9 with, No, I am not pure of heart. I am not clean. I am not without sin. But in Christ, I do have a pure heart. In Christ, I am clean and without sin. And in light of the righteousness and love that is ours in him, we are called to live out the heart love for God and for neighbor. Let us pray. Our holy God and Father, we do thank you for the probe of your word that digs into the depths and the purposes of our hearts and exposes those areas that need to be cleaned and washed by your love and by your grace. Help us to do the work of repentance. Help us to do the honest work of sanctification. Help us to rest in your sovereignty and in your glory. That rest and contentment that is ours because the one who is gentle and lowly, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because it is only through him that we can do the work of having our heart's desires and loves changed to honor and glorify you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your hymn books in your hand and turn to hymn number 302, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. The prayer of humility. A prayer of admitting that God has the right to direct our lives as he sees fit and that we will love him and rest in him as he does. So let us stand and sing hymn number 302, Have Thine Own Way, Lord.
As you leave this place today, and as you seek to think on and apply the lessons learned in every aspect of your life, take this blessing upon you. Brothers and sisters, peace and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And to this we add the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.